I just got out of the studio with my interview with Lynn Hartke, the author of Under a Desert Sky. She literally lives in a desert, but she also has faced those desert moments. And here's why. She's a breast cancer survivor, but both her parents succumbed to cancer. And so she started off with the question, why me? And ended up with the question of, where are you, God? A fascinating conversation about somebody who has endured great hardship and loss, but finds God in the midst of the desert and finds the beauty in that desert experience. You're not going to want to miss the show. I know you're going to be inspired if you've ever gone through cancer, and you'll be inspired if you are a supporter of somebody who is going through cancer. That's next on my show. glad that you're on the show with me today and your story with Melinda. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And now tell me where I am speaking with you from over Skype. I am, I live in Chandler, Arizona, which is in the Sonoran Desert, but we are considered part of the metropolis of uh, Phoenix. Okay. Now for someone who has never been honestly in a desert, Mm -hmm. let alone lived in a desert, Tell me what that's like. I think for my viewers and listeners, a lot of us would never know what desert living is like. Give me a picture. Talk to me about it. Is it what we really think where it's dry, dusty with rattlesnakes and cowboys? (laughs) It is really dry and dusty. And this time of year, um, we're hitting the hot months. It is supposed to be 107 degrees today. Wow. Yeah. And all this week, 107, 108 And it was a huge adjustment for me. I came from the green of Minnesota Mm -hmm. and then to move here where it is brown so much of the year and learning to appreciate the beauty that is here and the the saguaro cactus. And we're unusual in a desert is actually we have two rainy seasons. So we'll have the monsoons of summer and then the winter rains. So we're considered actually a lot of biodiversity here in the Sonoran Desert. Wow. So this is an interesting question then. So before the desert, you were, you said, in the greens of, did you say? Minnesota. Minnesota. So let's go a little bit farther back because we love hearing about people's story um, mm-hmm. as a young person growing up in the faith. Let's hear a little bit about your upbringing as well and then how you came to a relationship with Jesus. How did that all begin? Well, I grew up in southern Minnesota in Albert Lee in a farming community. Mm-hmm. Both of my parents were teachers in that community. And when I was 11 years old, my dad gave me a book. He said, you should read this book. It was The Cross and the Switchblade oh. by David Wilkerson. Yes, I know that one well. I grew up with that one as and, well. <laughs> yeah, and he came and spoke in our little town of Albert Lee, and we all went to hear him And although I had been raised in a church all my life, it was the first time I realized, hey, Jesus came and died for me. And I like to say, Jesus came off the flannel graph. Ah, The famous flannel graph. I've I've, had those all throughout my Sunday school time too, Lynn. (laughs) Yeah. And so that was when I was 11. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, when I was 16, I got involved in a ministry located in northern Minnesota that had um, outreaches to the First Nation people of Canada amongst the Cree and the Ojibwe. Mm -hmm. 
and um, I was on staff with them after I graduated from high school, and that is where I met my husband. Okay. So, yeah. And so you met your husband, and I know now that you are, um, he's a pastor. You've been yes. pastors or uh, of your church for how many years now? 32, 32. years. Wow. In the same congregation. Now, did so you, he started out as a youth pastor okay. and then became the senior pastor. Did you did you ever think that you would be um, pastoring in support of a church for that long? No, and I never thought I would even be pastoring. When I met my husband, <laughs> he was a wilderness guide. Oh, no you way. Know, flannel, full mm-hmm. beard, kind of a hermit type. Yeah. And uh, then, you know, we um, worked among the Korean Ojibwe mm-hmm. for... Uh, well, two years before we were married and then two or three years after. Mm-hmm. And we had our first son and we're thinking, well, we want to see more what a local church does. Yeah. We had been in parachurch ministry and we took this job as kind of an interim uh, down here in Chandler. Thought one or two years. And sometimes short decisions become a lifetime. What were your, um, some of the challenges or surprises about working with First Nations people? When you decided to go into that work, not a lot of people will or do, uh, what would you say were some of the experiences that you faced or were um, were wonderful experiences for you working with uh, the First Nations people? I didn't realize before going in the richness of their culture. Uh, yeah. And... Um, a lot of it is uh, matriarch society, mm. at least in the village that we were in. And there was an elderly woman, Granny Hill, who was convinced if she spoke loud enough and long enough at us, we would learn Cree. And <laughs> just, I have wonderful memories of that time. And we kind of lost contact with people we had known, of course, until Facebook or, you know, came right. up. And then suddenly we now have relationships again with people that we knew 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So, Lynn, you come into this place, you're now in the desert, mm-hmm. and you, well, you've written a book, Under a Desert Sky, yes. uh, Redefining Hope, Beauty, and Faith in the Hardest Places. Whew. That is, um, there's a lot in that. I think for desert, there's the physical desert that you've talked about mm-hmm. where you live, and there's rattlesnakes, and it's dusty in that, but also that, that also is about your own journey as well. Um, why write this book? What was um, the start or the reason for penning this? And you're a great writer. Um, there's lots of great mm-hmm. imagery within what you write. And so when I'm reading it, it's like these beautiful images come and I, I can see myself there. So why, why this book at this time? I wrote the book uh, because it is my cancer story Mm -hmm. with the cancer story of both my parents. And when you're in the midst of a cancer story, you live in the overwhelming now. Mm -hmm. There's not really a past. There's not really a future. It's just now as you're hit with assault after assault and a new diagnosis, new treatment. And so it was a way for me to go back and write down the story and to see where God had been in the pages. Mm. And I knew some of it, but part of it was for me to discover for myself, God, where were you in this uh, overwhelming now of all three of our stories with cancer? Mm -hmm. And so I wrote the book for myself, first of all, and then uh, showed it to a friend of mine who's a writing coach. And she said, I think we should try to get this published. So that's kind of how it began for myself, first of all. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about this. I, I've had a number of close friends diagnosed with cancer have come through um, 
you know, difficult, you know, chemo radiation. And I also now have a very close person in my life, um, it actually makes me a little emotional, that has been diagnosed with breast cancer just a few months ago. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's it's a learning for me, Lynn, on as someone who is a support person or a friend right. to watch this happen, how to do it well. Because there's, there's the other side where the, the person who has cancer, but then there's also the people who are supporting and are on the journey with them, right? Yes. Uh, when you were, let's talk with you first, and then I, I would love your thoughts on the person supporting. But when you were diagnosed and realized it, you know, what what were your initial thoughts um, and, and, and conversations with God? I know that you alluded to that as well, and that's why you've written this book, because it was written, you know, for you. But what were your initial thoughts about that, you know, shock or your conversations with God when you found out? My initial reaction was just numbness. Mm-hmm. It's almost like time stood still and I can relive that moment like in freeze frame yeah. bit by bit. Interesting enough, my parents were with me when I was, I got the phone call from the doctor. Mm-hmm. So I was diagnosed first before they were. And the only thought that came through in all that numbness was I need to call my husband. Yeah. And how am I going to tell him that I have the same disease that killed both of his parents? Ugh. And dialing him up and not having any words. I say cancer stole my words at that Mm. moment. I couldn't even tell him, but he knew as soon as, you know, I'm sobbing on the other end. And yeah, and from there came conversations with God. I Mm. still had two children at home, two were grown, but we were still in the midst of raising a family. And how could I have cancer? There's no history of cancer in the family. And just the unbelief and trying to process all of that along with all the new medical terminology Mm -hmm. and the treatment options, it's overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And at that place, especially as a mom and a wife, you know, honest talks with God, what, what were you saying? What were you saying to him? And what were you hearing or not hearing back from him? Uh, interesting enough, I never had the why question answered. Yeah. I would say, why now? Why <laughs> while the kids are still here? Why, why, why? Mm-hmm. Why did you bring me out to the desert to die? Echoing oh, what wow. the, you know, the Israelites said mm-hmm. in the desert. Why did you bring me out to the desert to die? And I can say I never really heard why. But God was so faithful to show me who he was in relationship. That was a prayer he pursued me with. I'm going to show you who I am in this dark, questioning, wandering Mm -hmm. desert. And I will be faithful Mm -hmm. in this hard place. And what did he show you, Lynn? I know there's, that's within the story in your book, but what did he... Because I think a lot of us struggle with that. There's a lot of whys for any sure. Christian on their you know, spiritual journey, like why God really, you know, mm-hmm. loving, faithful father, protector, um, kind one, forgiving one, and yet it, what's happening in my life uh, with you is, is completely opposite of that, of what I believe your character to be. Um, what, what was he showing you about himself? Uh, it seems like when we ask questions, we're either doubting God's compassion. Hmm. Does he really love me? Yeah. Or his power. So is he capable of healing me? So compassion and power. Okay. Yeah. And it seems like that's where we question him. Mm -hmm. And, uh, 
it seemed like I found God the most in people who loved him in this season. When I would forget parts of my faith, they would remind me of his faithfulness, Mm -hmm. whether it was a man who came on a horrible, horrible day in the hospital, walks in, I'm in tears, my mom's in pain, and he says, this looks like it's a bad time. I said, no, stay. (laughs) And, you know, he stayed and prayed with me there. And then later I found out he went out in the hallway and prayed for two hours, sitting on the floor. He tore a page out of his Bible because it's the only paper he had and wrote me an encouraging message and handed it and then left. And in the eyes of God's people, he showed me his faithfulness and love for me. And that's Mm. just one of many instances where I was reminded, okay, when I forget, there are those around me in community that helped me to remember. Yeah. And I think that's key. I think, you know, through all the stories that I've heard on my show, over and over, over again, it's it's God being manifest through people and community. Yes. And I, I always wonder, like, how people try to do life alone. You ju- yes. you can't. <laughs> no. You know, and over and over again, you know, from known people on the platform to authors that are starting up or to, quote, unquote, people come into, you know, the studio and say, I'm just a regular person. I always ask the same questions and they're always their answer always is it was community it was a friend it was yes. you know part of our church community who helped me through mm-hmm. that tough time right Yeah, yeah and the interesting enough I thought I could do it alone at the beginning Really I call it being stupid strong <laughs> you No know? yeah. it's just like I'm going to be the strong woman I'm going to carry the family I'm going to whatever mm-hmm. and no that that didn't last very long <laughs> I didn't do it very well yeah. So as you're going through your own journey with cancer, what happens here with your parents? There, you know, it's not just you, but cancer impacts your parents as well. What's that part of the story for you? So about a year after I finished active treatment, mm-hmm. my dad is diagnosed with um, melanoma, and it's wow. already through his whole lymph system. So it's stage four. Wow. He starts chemo and a clinical trial because at that point he's only given six months to live. And so um, he does experimental treatment Mm -hmm. and responds very well to it. And about a year after he starts treatment, I get a call from my mom that the lymph node in her groin is cancerous and she has ovarian cancer. Um, stage three soon elevated to stage four. And so both of my parents are in treatment with only for life extending reasons. There's no promise of a cure for them. And, um, yeah, that was our family's reality. How is that? So, so you and then both your parents within the same year to two. It's, it happens in about a three year window. So I'm diagnosed, then my dad a year later, then my mom a year later. But they went through chemo together. Okay. And I'm still going, you know, every six months to have checkups. Mm -hmm. And there was a little season where they worried I had a different cancer that came back, but turned out not to be true. But all this going on. Yeah. One assault after another. Yeah. Well, it's one thing for you to have it. Yeah, it's one thing for you to be diagnosed, but then all of a sudden, your parents. 
Yes. And so what are your what are your thoughts and conversations with God when that happens? It's one to have a conversation with God, why me? And now it's sort of like, why me? And now why them? And then wait, and another parent. Like, I would be, honestly, with my own broken humanity, I'd be very angry at God at this point. What, what's, what are your thoughts through this time, too? Well, I learned it's one thing to trust your own life mm-hmm. to God. Completely different conversation to trust those you love oh, to yeah. God to trust that he's caring for them. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, I thought, okay, I, I accept his trust for me at one level. I processed that with my cancer, but only to a level. And now it's like, okay, let's go to a different level. First my dad and then my mom. And mm. uh, yeah, difficult time, hard time. And in that difficult time, you know, it's you can't really do the pat answers like, you know, honestly, you know, God's good. It's going to all work out. You know, everybody will be healed. We're, we're all, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. we're kind of past that, you know, in in those kinds of, I think, statements. Yeah. So how did you and your family, you and your husband, because I think it's something for me to learn from you, Lynn, as, as I journey with, with this as well. Um, how did you do it? Like, how do you honestly get through each day and do this and through grief and loss and looming over you, you know, your own, mm-hmm. you know, you know, death in that? How, how do you do this well? Because I know there's a lot of my viewers and listeners who are journeying through this right now or have, and there's still a lot of that pain and grief that, mm-hmm. you know, they're feeling. It, it is it is challenging and I can't say we always did it well yeah um, and my parents each wanted to live their story a little differently my dad always was willing to face eternity and so he did chemo for my mom and he would say I'm gonna live until I die and then my real life will begin mm-hmm. and so he helped us process that eternity is is real it's not just something we talk about or believe in our faith but he lived that to a deep, deep way. My mom, however, wanted to fight it until the very end, chemo and every treatment. And she was very comfortable in the medical community. Mm-hmm. And I would say, mom, how come we're doing all this? You know, it's only life extending. She said, because life is beautiful. Hmm. And she wanted to fight cancer with everything she had because life is beautiful. Mm-hmm. So I had both of these things from my parents. My mom, earthly life is beautiful. And my dad, eternal life is beautiful. Huh. They both lived out their stories differently, but with lessons for us and for my children to see. So life is beautiful here. It is. Mm-hmm. And then life is beautiful in eternity as well. Yeah. It's that whole th- thing Lynn about you know sort of the here and now right yes. here and then the not yet sort of like here we are in our earthly place and yet we know about eternity with God as well mm-hmm. that's the that's the tension I mean I'll be honest it's it's this thing where I know that death is inevitable and mm-hmm. very present I'm like how am I going to live life here well and yet you know I've had the struggles and I've talked with my girlfriends about this where it's like but there's so much about life we love and we want to do mm-hmm. and we don't we don't want to pass away because there's a lot here, yes. right? Yes. Um, but then knowing because we don't we know a little glimpse of what eternity will be like, 
we can be like, yes, and with Jesus. But there's still that part of my humanity. It's like, yeah, but I want to be here a long time. <laughs> yes. yes, very much so. You know, I want to be with my girlfriends and my husband and my kids and hang out and all these things. And I don't want to go yet. And yet, because I, I don't necessarily know the fullness of what's to come, right? Yes. So, wow. So in your book um, and your hope for your book, Lynn, what, what's your hope as you pen this? It was for you, but then friends have said, you know, write this for others. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what's, your, what's your hope with this book that somebody picks it up and reads it? And what do you want them to get out of it? My hope for a reader is that when they pick it up, they would realize that they don't need to be alone yeah. in their fear. And they're not foolish. It's not foolish to hope. And yet they are never forgotten by a loving, pursuing God. Mm-hmm. Never. In those, in their, whatever their hardest place is. Might not be cancer for them. Mm-hmm. But it's not foolish to hope. And uh, I have a friend who says, hope always has a future. Huh. And I guess I would, that's my hope. My hope that they would grasp that hope always has a future. Sometimes it's an eternal future. Yeah. I think that's, a good reminder because you know we say that we hope and that we mm-hmm. have hope but if I was honest with myself a lot of times I don't <laughs> yeah right like I'm like I say yes. it I give lip service to it I mean I've been a Christian since I was six years old so I know yeah. all the jargon and stuff to say but I would say Lynn deep down in me uh if I was honest I'm I, I don't I'm not hopeful I'm Maybe I'm a realist. I'm like, this is how it is. And so I, I'm, I don't live in hope. And when I'm in that hardest place, that hard place, you know, I tend to be very woe is me and, and, and not trusting God in the way that, you know, I probably should, you know. Um, in that, I, you know, I, I, from the beginning of the conversation, I said, you know, somebody who's a support person for somebody who is going through cancer, what, what's, what's some good advice that you can give to those people who are journeying with somebody going through, maybe not just cancer, but something that's hard and difficult. What did you see from your own community or husband and family that really helped you? Or maybe something that you learned that, you know, you should have done as, as you're going through this, you know what I mean? Like what's a good advice for the support person? I like to tell people is it's kindness is always a good option. Okay. And we like to try to think of really, really um, big things, but small things can have a ripple effect and spread out. And um, the you know, scripture says, I was sick and you visited me. That's all it says. I was sick and you visited me. And to do that is to be like Jesus and not to try to come up with the huge big thing do the meals, pick up the kids, visit someone, call them, text them, Mm -hmm. especially months later into the treatment when everyone else has fallen away. Mm -hmm. Still be that friend that does the kind thing. Yeah. Did your husband and family have a great community for them also to, to go to, like to share, like just freak out and scream? not in front of you, but with somebody else. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like yes. they need that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's the challenge. And uh, that's another kind thing you can do with someone is to ask them how are their husband doing, the spouse doing, mm-hmm. how are the kids doing? Because a lot of times they do get forgotten 
And um, I think my kids probably more so people, because my husband was a pastor, mm -hmm. people would check in on him and make sure he's okay. But I think sometimes my kids uh, did not receive the encouragement that they needed. Oh. And I think point. we're discovering that now, you know, years later. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. As, as we end our conversation here, Lynn, um, encouragement, you know, for those that are just at a loss, that are hopeless, mm -hmm. that are looking at their life like, I'm not living in this joyous place or purposeful place. Um, and, and Christian or not, you know, we're all in that right. place. We've all been at, at some point feeling that way. It's like, yeah, you know, God, I know God. Maybe I have a relationship or I don't, but I just feel really, eh. And I don't have a direction or I, I look around at other people on Facebook and Instagram and their lives look fantastic, you know, and their hair looks amazing, windblown, and their skin is so even. <laughs> um, what would you say to someone as just an encouragement for their life today? I guess I would want to encourage them that God is pursuing them in whatever hard place they find themselves in mm -hmm. and to look around and in maybe the place that seems the most unlikely. For me, it was actually in the desert, mm -hmm. in nature. I would find God there. I would, like I said, I found him in his people and hold on to every good thing you believe about God in that hard time. Don't let go. Hold on to that good thing. And he's going to show himself faithful. Hmm. That's good. I think that's, a, Lynn, a really great reminder because sometimes when things aren't going our way, then we blame God and we think of all the bad things about him. He's mm -hmm. not present. He's not speaking. He's given me this. You know, why cancer? You know, mm -hmm. why, you know, this impacting my parents? But I think you're right. I think we have to always go back to, you know, who is God in his character? Who actually is he, right? Yes. As father, you know, and he is loving. He is present. We might not know it, but he is. And that's a really good reminder. And I love that for your book, you know, Under a Desert Sky, Redefining Hope, Beauty, and Faith in the Hardest Places. I love that imagery because it's it can be a sort of the desert of your soul and experience, but also for you, it's actually literally living in the desert. <laughs> yes. I think and it's beautiful. And it in is beautiful, right? I think we think of yeah. desert, like I said, like, you know, sort of in the movies of this this dry and lonely, desolate place. But when I'm on your website, you take these great pictures of actually look at what's in the desert. You've got flowers yeah. and a rattlesnake. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and all other things that you can actually find the beauty in those dark places. And I think that's a real encouragement for, for so many of us in that. Are you thinking about writing another book? I am thinking about it, okay. and, uh, but it's only in my brain at this point. <laughs> and Lynn, wh where can we pick up your book? Where can people find it? It is available wherever books are sold, both online and in stores. I know Barnes & Noble and Parable Christian Books and Lifeway Christian Books all have it, and then online as well. And just for our viewers too, and listeners, I think for me, um, did you do chemo and radiation, and are you now cancer-free, or what, what is your status now? With cancer, uh, my my cancer was caught early, so I didn't need chemo. Okay, I but radiation, five years of a hormone blocker, and my oncologist fired me two years ago. <laughs> Said I didn't need to come in any longer, so I am considered cancer free. Wow, 
Beautiful. That's so great. Well, Lynn, thank you so much. I I love um, your sort of the, your poetic way of not just writing, but even uh, your your words. Um, thank you for the encouragement. I think it, this is a book that everybody needs to pick up when not even just going through cancer, but any hard time that we're faced with. And thank you for writing and sharing with me your story here on our show. Thank you for having me. All right. Take care and um, all the best with your new book. I'm going to say that right now publicly with your new book that's in your brain, but hopefully will come to fruition soon. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks again. Hey, wait. I know the show has ended and all, but could you introduce me to some of your really good friends? Sharing this episode on social media really helps us reach more people, and this story can inspire others to get stronger in their faith.